Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so happy you're with me today. My guest on today's show is a member of The Righteous, the former Ring of Honor six-man tag team champions, Dutch, also known as Bill Carr. Note, this interview was recorded before The Righteous teamed up at the Death Before Dishonor pay-per-view and lost the championships to Dalton Castle and the boys. I personally think that Bill Carr is one of the most athletic, outrageous big men in pro wrestling right now. The first time I saw him wrestle, he pulled out a plancha and some other incredible moves, but he's so much more than that. He's smart, he's enormous, he's credible, and he's actually just a really nice guy. So here we go right now with my interview with Dutch, a.k.a. Bill Carr. So happy to have with me today, one of the most agile big men in the game, one of the best guys, and probably the most friendly psychopath I am personally aware of. It's Dutch, a.k.a. Yeah. Bill Carr. Bill, so thrilled to have you here with me today on Under the Ring. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I I, uh, I like that introduction. I uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it fits you. Uh, friendly psychopath. I like that. Well, to start, can you explain the Dutch character, how you see it and how it came to being in the in the in the righteous group? Oh, let's uh so the Dutch character has been <clears throat> something I've wanted to do for a long time now. Um as you can probably tell, I'm a big fan of horror movies and you know, The Devil's Rejects is one of my favorite movies, also into true crime. So I'm trying to like mix everything together, you know. I feel, as of late, what I'm coming up with, everything's starting to come together now. Um, but yeah, that, that's 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 pretty much it. It's just I'm, I'm just a big fan of horror movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Devil's Rejects, you know that kind of stuff, and uh, always always wanted to do something along those lines. So opportunity finally came, and uh, Vinny is along the same lines as I am when it comes to our um, interests. So everything kind of melded together and it was really easy to uh start this up there was some interesting timing for you that got going right around the same time as ring of honor was sort of wrapping up and then getting sold uh and you were gaining some traction as the six-man tag team champions with the righteous what was it like to be there at the end and uh like i'm just hoping that this leads to other uh, you know opportunities in the in the near future for you oh yeah same here but i mean ring of honor i've been a fan of since 2002 First show I went to was uh, Death Before Dishonor at the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And that was kind of my introduction into wrestling outside of WWE, WWF, WCW, ECW, and Japan. So my mind was blown that first show, and I've been a fan ever since. And it's always been a goal of mine to get to Ring of Honor. And even though I was only there for a short amount of time, you know, under, under that the Sinclair broadcasting only there for a short amount of time. I still loved every second of it. And um, I really do hope that, you know, one of these days, you know, we will, uh, you'll see us back in a ring of honor ring. I mean, technically we still are the six man tag champs. So we'll see what happens with that. And you have those with you when you were, uh, when I saw you at the civic center and you guys took on the, uh, the Briscoes. Uh, yes. I guess that was January now uh, of this year. Yes. Um, it's funny that you were at the Rexplex. I used to go to those shows also. I don't think I realized oh, yeah? that. Yeah. The first <laughs> one I went to was the one when they had uh, AJ Styles against uh, CM Punk with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. as. The oh, referee. yes. Okay. Yep. I was at that one too. Pretty much everything. I think Death Before Designer might have been the first show they had at the Rexplex. So every every show since then until they closed down, I was I was there for all of them pretty much. 
I told Tony DeVito that I was at that show and I was explaining the show to him. And he's always, he goes, yeah, I was actually in the main event of that show. And I said, you know what? You're right. You were in the main event of that show. He, he's everywhere. And you don't expect to find him sometimes. That um, is true. I want to start kind of at the beginning of your career, mainly because I don't exactly know how you started out in wrestling. And I, I think it had to do with DeVito a little bit. Yes, uh, it did. Funny, funny you bring his name up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the main yeah, event so... of Tony DeVito. So yeah, how, how did it all start? So uh, he's he's from my hometown in uh, New Windsor, New York, and I would always see him around. I knew who he was, but I was always like kind of nervous to go up to him and introduce myself for some reason. Um, and then his son started wrestling for the high school. He was on Modified. I was on Varsity at the time and introduced myself to him when he showed up to one of the practices and we just kind of became friendly from there and he had a school running, but I was still in high school. So, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I always wanted to, but I wasn't really prepared to start my training then. But um, yeah, guys like Cheech, Bobby Fish, um, they were at the school when I went to just go check it out and just hang out and everything. And it wasn't until I believe it was the summer of 2000. Five no, summer of two thousand six. I don't know two thousand five two thousand six is when I started training. Um, he had he had sold his ring right before I had asked him if he would train me, and then it just so happened that somebody in the area had a ring that was set up, and he said, "Yeah, I mean, if you find a ring, I'll train you." So I found a ring, and he trained me. So that was uh, that was the beginning there. That was. It was outside, so we could only do it during like decent weather and everything. But you know, I think it, I think it worked. Yeah, you ended up signing with WWE pretty quickly, pretty soon after your start. Am I, am I right about that? Yes. So even though I started training, like I said, two thousand five, two thousand six, um, and we could only do it when it was nice outside. You know, we'd have a lot of rainy days where we'd have to cancel and everything. So I really didn't have my first actual match until I'd say 2007 um, was really the first match I had. It was an eight-man tag and somewhere in Connecticut lasted 15 seconds and that was it. But technically that was my first match. And then, you know, little things here and there, but I was also going to school at the time and trying to train and trying to, um, you know, make connections with people, just trying to get my name out there. And, you know, so it wasn't really wrestling too much. I'd say 2009 was really when I started getting booked regularly. And I remember actually one of the, one of the most memorable shows I think I had was my getting booked at a battle Royal for Northeast wrestling at my high school. And I was, um, Reed Flair was on the show. Ric Flair was there, so it was that. That was a big deal to me. And that I was, was at that show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was so. Tech, I, I tell people that's my first match because it's like, oh, it's my high school, it's my hometown, so right. I got to debut in my hometown. So I'll I tell people that's really my first match, when it technically isn't, but we'll say it is. And then I started getting booked regularly down in Long Island for this company, FTW. And January of 2010 came, 
WWE was having a tryout in OVW. It was like 150 bucks to sign up for it. I just had to get myself out there. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I said, I'm trying to get my name out there. Maybe I'll meet some people who, you know, maybe have some connections that can get me into some places. Had never, I, I had no intentions of getting signed from this from this tryout. Like I, I was brand new. Like maybe had 15, 20 matches under my belt at this time. And uh, so did the tryout and didn't hear anything for two months, two, three months. Then I get a random call at like seven o'clock in the morning from a Connecticut number. And I just kind of, I was asleep. So I just kind of uh, ignored it. And then they called me again later on in the day and left a voicemail. Again, I ignored it. Listened to the voicemail and said, hey, this is so-and-so from WWE. If you could give us a call back, like that'd be great. So I knew I went to SUNY Albany and got for college and I knew that WWE was having raw at the then Pepsi arena. Um, so I assumed that it was maybe calling for me for some extra work and I called them back and they offered me a contract right then and there. And, uh, I was shocked to say the least, but you know, it's great. How, how has your style kind of evolved from back then to, to what you do now? I, when I, I recall pointing you out to a couple of people that I went to shows with where you were on the card. And I said, you know, keep your eye on that guy. Cause he's going to do something you're not going to expect, you know, during, yes. during the match. So how yeah. did that, how did you kind of, how did you kind of evolve your, your, your in ring style over time? Um, it's, it's kind of been a little all over the place because, and like, it, I mean, it, 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 it takes a while to kind of, get your footing in there and kind of, you know, what's comfortable, what you're comfortable with doing, what you're comfortable and not comfortable doing. Um, so I would say that my style, if I had to put a name to it, would be sloppy, but surprising, if that makes <laughs> any sense. Um, like if you go back and watch Stan Hansen and Big Boss Man, you know, they were very agile, but kind of all over the place in the ring. And that's kind of how I am, you know, and that's not a bad thing. That's it's, I would say it's a specific style. Um, but I don't like going in there and being robotic and everything. I like, you know, to move around and really, you know, show people that I'm as agile as I, as I, as I can be. So that's why I like, you know, saving the, the, the flashy stuff for toward the end of the match, just to, you know, get people on their feet, I guess. The plancha, you do the the Canadian destroyer, which now just about everybody does one of those. I feel like. Oh yeah. But uh, what what was the first time you tried that, and uh, it just kind of what was the reaction you got from people? First time I tried that, so I've always I've always wanted to take a Canadian destroyer. So, uh, I believe it was me and Dan Barry were wrestling the Beaver Boys at. I think it was beyond wrestling. I didn't know Alex Reynolds could do it. And I, I trust Alex Reynolds. We have wrestled ah, hundreds of times already. So I knew I could trust him. So I was like, Hey, like, I know you can do a Canadian destroyer. I want to take one. So let's just kind of add this into the match. So we did got over. Great. People loved it. Fast forward to the end of that year. I think it was for CZW. One of the, I think one of the cage of deaths. So their biggest show of the year. Um, and again, it's us versus the Beaver Boys. The so Beaver Boys, I by the way, for for people who don't know, are John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the current 
Dark Order, right? Yes, that's right. I forget that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of concussions, so, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was Cage of Death, and I tell Alex, I'm like, hey, like if you want to do that Canadian Destroyer again tonight, you know, a lot of people here, look at a nice big reaction, you know, why don't we do it? And he was like, no, why don't you do it to me? And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that'll get a bigger reaction. Why don't you do it to me? So I was like, I've never even attempted to try this. Um, so we got out a crash pad. And I was like, all right, like, here we go. I'm going to attempt this right now. So we go and hit it perfectly. So I was like, okay, well, I can do a Canadian Destroyer. So I'm going to add this as much as I possibly can into uh, my repertoire. <laughs> and then it went well on the on the live match, too, I guess. Where, yes. where was that? that was, yes. was that in Philly or was that? Uh... That was, where were they running at the time? I think it was Vernon, New Jersey, I think. Oh, okay. It was like the Skate Center, something the Skate, skate Center. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I remember seeing you pull that off, not expecting it. I've seen you do planches and matches where I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. And I was like, all right, well, now I know to tell other people. Just like, watch oh, this yeah. guy. But were Hanson and Bossman two guys that you kind of like uh, studied? When, when you go and try to – see things that you can kind of take and make your own of those two two or two, those two names that you kind of uh, look at and are there are there others yeah no absolutely um hansen boss man those are two that i've studied up and down um two of my favorites uh stone cold here and there too um and even kane if you if if, if you watch the way that i throw my punches like that's who i I would study and I would watch him and I would I would practice on nothing until I got it, you know, down to near perfect in my eyes. Um, but yeah, just pretty much this typical big guys who can who can move. That's really that's really what I studied. Um, and even down in uh, in FCW, you could always ask if they can. They would they would make compilation DVDs for you if you wanted to for tape study and everything. So you just put a bunch of names in there and we'll just send you a bunch of random matches. So that was, that was, that was good to have, um, at our pleasure, you know, just anything that we wanted. I mean, you, you know, they're the size of their library, you know, anything we wanted, we could get. So that was a big help. What, what was your favorite thing about your time in FCW? What's, what would you say is the best thing you learned there? Oh, the best thing I learned, well, I'd say probably just being under the eyes of Dusty Rhodes, Ricky Steamboat, Norman Smiley, Steve Kern, Dr. Tom, and, you know, endless guests here and there that would show up and just help out from time to time. Um, learning, I mean, sitting every Wednesday in the ring, cutting a one minute promo in front of dusty roads and having him critique you on what you could do better and what, you know, to change this. It's like, you're standing there and it's like, this is, this is insane. Like this is dusty roads, a guy that I grew up watching and loving. And now he's my boss pretty much telling me what to do and giving me advice. And I would always stick around after those days and kind of like pick their brains and everything, which that was my favorite part is to, you know, a lot of guys would just do the job and then just go home. But I liked sticking around and like, you know, not I don't want to say playing the game because I wasn't playing the game. That was like a 
fanboy thing in me was like, you know, like I want to pick these guys' brains to know more and to really, really understand. And that's what Dusty said to me. He said the first thing that he saw in me was was Ray Trailer, Big Boss Man. He said that's who I was, and that's what he wanted me to be. But then, uh, like management for WWE had other ideas and wanted me to go more Texan, like a Stan Hansen, I guess, or uh, you know Bobby Duncan, and. They wanted me to be build from Texas. I'm from New York. I can't I can't do a southern accent too well, so that wasn't I wasn't really going to try to pretend there. Um, but yeah, it was just just listening to these guys and learning from these guys was just unbelievable. And that and the people I met along the way down there too are still some of my best friends today. So I would never met them if uh, I wasn't down there for the two years I was there. What made Dusty Rhodes so good at what he did? Like, what was his, what was the attention to detail like? What was the feedback like? And just kind of what what made him tick? Because he sounds so interesting to to, to hear. Yeah, from. it was. I mean, he like what you see on television from him. That's who he was. There was no Dusty Rhodes on camera compared to Dusty Rhodes at all. Dusty Rhodes was Dusty Rhodes. Um, like Virgil Runnels did not exist. That was <laughs> Dusty Rhodes. Um, but just like he was just so like calm with everybody, and it was only it was like soothing to like listen to him talk and listen to his feedback and everything. But he, you know, he could turn something that was bad into something that was great just by if you say it like this while you're looking over here or doing some just like little things here and there. you turn twist your body like this and when you hit this point twist it like that just little things that you would never never even think of doing but because he was there and letting us know and it's like oh my god yeah okay that's that does it doesn't sound like it would make a difference to you know body position and your eyes and your the way you move your mouth the way you move your hands just all of that stuff he knew just by looking at you, like what you were able to do before you even spoke. So he would let you speak, knowing exactly what you're going to do. And then, you know, like I said, before before you even spoke, he already had his critiques and already had his advice for you afterwards. But like I said, that was even like talking about it now. It's like for two years I was, you know, being coached by Dusty Rhodes, which is still insane to me. It's interesting, too, that you said that he kind of saw Big Boss Man Ray Trailer in you, since I'm pretty sure he was the one instrumental for actually hiring Ray Trailer as Big Bubba Rogers and yes. taking him off of Enhancement and making him the bodyguard for the Midnight Express. To, yep. And then he feuded with Ray Trailer in the WWF when, oh, yeah. when, he got, when he got there. No, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's what I was really hoping for when he brought that up, was a feud with Dusty Rhodes at some point. Full rope match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How, how well, did you... Funny story with that, with the with the with the bull rope actually. Um, so when they told me that they wanted me to kind of be like a Bobby Duncan, you know, Stan Hansen type, so they were pretty much feeding me every week. Okay, do this, do this, do this. Wear this. Cut your hair like this. Dye your hair blonde. Switch the trunks. Put on a vest. Um, they wanted me to get a bull rope. I didn't have a bull rope. I don't even know where to get a bull rope. So he gave me one of his own that I still have to this day, which is, you know, priceless to me, which I'll yeah. never, never give up. But uh, yeah, so he he was the one who to give me the bull rope that I used for years down there. 
how did you become Bobby Dutch? Where did you get the name from? Who whose idea was that? So at the time they were big on it seems like now their WWE is big on just single names. At this time they were big on first and last names. So we were told to just kind of come up with different first names, different last names, kind of put them together. You know, like think of like a few of your favorite movie characters and try to switch those around. So what I did, I don't know, I must have given them a list of a hundred different names. But Bobby Dutch was or is the other two characters from Karate Kid who were in Cobra Kai, Bobby uh, and Dutch. So I just combined the two, and that's what they picked. <laughs> and then you managed to keep your Twitter handle as WWE Dutch for years yes. after that. <laughs> All the way until Ring of Honor told me to change it because they wouldn't put my uh, Twitter handle on their Twitter feed. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then you finally had to change it again. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, years you were WWE Dutch on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any other like fun stories of uh, developmental you're able to tell in this format? Uh, you know, any PG tales oh, from a uh, promo class or anything? <laughs> that's a good hard question. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you've read Moxley's book Not at yet. all yet, but I I I got it hoping to hear like some FCW stories that we had from back in the day. Um. Right off the bat, he said, I'm not going to talk about FCW because a lot of things may incriminate people. So I'm just <laughs> going to keep that out. <laughs> but let's see. Um, and we had a lot of fun. Um, what can I talk about? That's 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 a good question. That kind of says it all, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, if Moxley's going to incriminate himself in his book, then it might be uh, it might be best for uh, for other other shows and other uh, other formats. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It might it, it it's probably for the best. I mean, the Bill Carr future of, Patreon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get a bunch of twenty-one to twenty-six-year-old guys down in Florida, living on their own, you know, drinks were flowing pretty heavily and, uh, every night. And it was, it was, it was a blast. It was a blast. I'm sure maybe some of the stories that I could tell, I don't remember, but, um, the ones that I do were probably, like you said, maybe best for, uh, <laughs> for off the air. <laughs> I do. I do recall. I was, I was doing some research before and, uh, you had an appearance on somebody we both know, Brian chairs, his old podcast tables, ladders and chairs. And you talked about, it came up that you started on the same day in WWE as, uh, Liake, who became Roman Reigns. Yes. And, uh, just what, what was he like at the, you, I mean, you probably literally saw his first matches and, and I was there from yeah, literally day were, one with him. Your day so, one. <laughs> he was, he, as soon as he walked through the door, like you take one look at him and you're like, okay, this guy's going to be a star. And sure enough, but you know, since, since we started on the same day, we kind of, you know, stuck by each other for a while because I mean, we don't, nobody knows anybody down there, you know, or this is a new environment for everybody. So you got to, you know, Whoever you trust, you got to keep close. You know, you know the wrestling business. It's sometimes it's shady and messed up, but you know, you, the ones you trust, you keep close to you. So we, you know, we gained a trust right off the bat. And you know, he was married with 
a kid and making $500 a week. So it was tough for him to, you know, afford certain things. So every Monday we would have to watch raw and do a report. So he would come over to my apartment and we'd watch, we'd watch raw together every week. And, you know, because he couldn't afford cable at the time. And he would always, he would always, always say that he he thinks he's getting fired. He's like, I don't know. I just I have, I have a feeling where I I, I think I'm going to be getting let go. I'm like, you are the last person that is going to be let go <laughs> in this group here. Like, you know, you just gotta you gotta have some confidence. And I mean, that confidence, obviously, as you can see now, is there. Um, but I knew right from day one that this guy was going to be the face of WWE at one at some point. And he's he's improved so much even as a star too. Like even you know you could see the different levels he's kind of taken his his persona to from the time in the Shield even to now. Oh yeah, yeah. He's um, it's like a like a complete one eighty. I don't want to say a complete one eighty because you know once he got that confidence and once they kind of gave him the ball to go run with it on his own. I mean you saw in the beginning. You know, there was a few instances where, you know, maybe he wasn't comfortable with certain things, but once he got the ball rolling, like he's unstoppable. And that's how he was down in FCW, and that's what he's doing right now. And he's going to be doing it for a long time. I don't see anybody taking his spot anytime soon. When I was looking through your own FCW history, I found some fun – Names of uh, opponents and partners there too. Seth Rollins uh, tagging with Biggie and Xavier Woods teaming. Oh with yeah, Byr- teaming with Byron Saxton, which that was one yes. that kind of surprised me yes. a little bit. Byron Saxton, yeah, he uh, who's he's a great in ring wrestler. He really mm-hmm. is. He's just he's got that gift where he never needs to wrestle ever. He never he never needs to hurt his body. So he's he's got the gift where he can just he could talk and talk and talk and talk. And he's another guy, too, where <clears throat> what you see on television is who you see in person. You know, I haven't seen him in a while, but I assume he's probably still the same. But he's just very charismatic and just very, you know, he's he's a he's an entertainer, you know, and he does a great job at it. And the other one I noticed on there, too, was Bray Wyatt. Well, I'm thinking that you guys uh you seem like in another dimension, you could have easily fit into that Wyatt family kind of uh, persona at some point. Yes. So, yeah, he's another one where we became friends instantly because he has the same interests as I do, watches the same movies, listens to the same music. And we're almost the same exact person. I mean, we're the same height. We look very similar at the time. And, uh, yeah, he's 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 such a great guy. He's awesome. And you know, he's one of the smartest guys you'll ever meet in wrestling. Another guy who never has to work, never has to do anything. He'll make he'll make money just by what he says. Um, and it's a shame what you know, I don't know if they didn't see enough in him, or maybe he was booked wrong or something. I don't know, but you know, there's a lot of I don't want to say wasted talent there, but maybe a lot of missed opportunities with that talent there that they kind of just threw away Such I feel like with him some, yeah i feel like with him it's sometimes not un, maybe them not understanding the pitch 
like not understanding where he's going with, yeah. with certain creative ideas. Cause I didn't think that sometimes a lot of them ended up making sense and maybe weren't exactly what his actual vision of what they were doing should be. Yeah, but. absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, like the, uh, what was the WrestleMania a few years ago during COVID where it was him and Cena. That was kind of like the first the Firefly Funhouse match. I think that was one of the best segments I think I've ever seen in wrestling. You know, and like, how do you not, how do you not capitalize on that? It just, it, it blows my mind. Who was the, uh, who was the first person in wrestling to realize that you were actually funny? Cause you're, you're, you are a funny guy <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you seem to enjoy the lighter side of wrestling. So was there oh, anybody, absolutely. was there anybody who kind of noticed that about you? And that's kind of like where you went in the, some of that direction with doing the um, stuff. I don't know because it's just, I'm very personable with people. You know, even like backstage, I'm, you know, that's just, just who I am. So it eventually, I guess, just started coming out in my work with Team Tremendous and everything. But, you know, Dan had a big hand in that, too, because he's he's a, he's a stand-up comedian. Right. So the both of us kind of fit well together. And, yeah, I guess I guess I would give him some credit there on getting me to kind of open up because – when I got released from WWE, I was trying to get back, but trying to do like the same thing, you know. Oh, there's the big intimidating guy. So he was the one who was like, "Hey, why don't we tag and why don't we try out this gimmick?" It was like a Halloween show that we were doing for Interspecies Wrestling. So he was like, "Let's do, uh, you know, let's let's dress as '80s cops, undercover cops." So he dressed in the Hawaiian shirt with the shorts. I had the white shirt, suspenders, and slacks and everything. And I'm like, ah, I don't know about this. This is, I'm trying to be serious and trying to get my job back here. But the re, the reaction we got when we walked out, I was like, okay, this, this, this could work. And then the match went. And after it was over, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is, this is what I'll focus on now instead of being serious and trying to uh, do what everybody else is doing. You know, so yeah, I I I'd, I'd give Dan credit for uh, helping me come out of my shell a little bit. What What did you like about that run in the tag team with him? You guys were together for what six, seven years? Yeah, a long time. Yeah, it was it was just fun. It was a blast because again, you got the big guy and little guy aspect of it, where both neither of us are in shape, but we'll both bust out some surprising things here and there. Um, we got I like we debuted and our uh, characters in ISW, but we didn't really get our big break until I guess beyond wrestling. And we did American Rana 2013, whatever the, the first American Rana that they had. And we weren't even booked on it to begin with. I think we replaced somebody and we wound up, you know, I don't want to blow smoke or anything, but people were coming up to us. Like you guys, you guys stole the show. Like you were, you were my favorite part of the show. And since then, we would get all of the top tag teams pretty much throughout the world that would come into Beyond Wrestling, and they would we, they would have to wrestle us. And because of that, we were able to work in PWG. We were able to go over to Progress, OTT, um, CZW. We had we had a few matches for Impact. Um, you know, so it was it was really Beyond Wrestling that gave us the platform to really show what we can do and give us pe people that are better than us that we can, you know, kind of 
show what we could do, I guess, you know, because that's, I mean, for me, that's the only way you're going to get better in wrestling anyway, is if you were working with somebody who was better than you, that we can teach you different things here and there. And Beyond Wrestling gave us that opportunity, working with Red Dragon, the Young Bucks, Chris Hero, you know, all those guys. It was, it was, it was, it was a blast. I loved it. Very good. And then I, I first noticed you on the House of Hardcore shows was when I started seeing you in those, oh, uh, yeah, those yeah. multi-man matches where, of course, yep. you guys would stand out on those regularly, too. And then uh, I was thinking, too, about the you know, the lighter side of wrestling kind of stuff. Some of the stuff you've, got, you've done with high spots is uh, out of this world and creative. Oh, and yeah. Not necessarily family-friendly at times. No, but, no, not at all, actually. <laughs> how, did all, how did all of that come about, that you ended up doing that stuff? Well, we're... You know, I, was, I was always friends with you know, guys like Trent and Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, like being, we were on, we were doing the same shows for years and we became very friendly and we all had the same sense of humor and we're all, you get us all together and we could sit there and talk and laugh for hours and hours on end. So high spots was like, yeah, why don't we just put this on camera here? We'll put you guys in a room and you just talk and we'll make people buy it. And they did. People still are buying it. Um, but that was that was so much fun. But again, like you said, not really family friendly. So if you have kids and you want to get the high spots subscription just to watch these, I'd, I'd wait a few years. I'd wait a few years. Parental discretion is advised. Yes. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, we're going to move to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your your answers. So I mentioned about everybody doing a Canadian Destroyer now. What's what's one other move you can just work into your repertoire now to get a crowd reaction that's not a Canadian Destroyer? Um, flying Head Scissors. You can do that pretty easily. Uh, Hurricane Rana, too. What about, what about something you haven't tried? Oh, haven't done. Oh, yeah. let's see. Because I've seen you do both of those. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, let's see. Maybe a Frankenstein or off the top. Hmm. Bust that out. Let's see. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll, 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 I'll give that a try. Maybe wait until you can work with like someone, one of the Steiners. Yes. <laughs> maybe <laughs> even the, the younger one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who are, uh, who are the top three wrestlers that you've been, you've been compared to? Do you agree with those comparisons or is there anyone else you'd rather be compared to? Um, yeah, like I said before, Stan Hansen, big boss, man, um, well, this is another one. I guess Bruiser Brody would be another one too. But I mean, those are guys I idolized, you know, later on in life. Like my wrestling growing up was Hulk Hogan, then Stone Cold. Once, you know, once I started discovering wrestling outside of WWF at the time, that's when I saw Stan Hansen. I've always been a big fan of Big Boss, man, but Bruiser Brody, like, you know, like the, the brawlers from the 80s in Japan and Mexico and Puerto Rico. Like, and I, I get compared to those guys from time to time. And that's a, a big, you know, I, I I would rather get compared to those guys than anybody else, you know? Is that also stuff that you study? Japan, Puerto Rico, that kind of stuff? On yes. Your own? Yep. Yeah. And finally, what what is the most ridiculous creative thing you've seen on a wrestling card? You've been on a lot of interesting lineups. Ooh, let's see. Um, most creative thing. Most ridiculous creative thing. Too. Ridiculously creative thing. Yeah. That's a good question. Again, I've had concussions, so it takes me a while to think about things. I mean, they don't have to be snap, snap, and, and I, I try to make them good. So, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, man. 
Well, just from my memory, <clears throat> going back to um, just just stuff that we've done. So we had an idea. It was me and Dan, who, like I said, were both cops wrestling Dick Justice, who plays a cop, and Colt Cabana, who at a time played a cop. So we did a finger gun spot, which the crowd loved. Um, the internet liked it too, except for the select few people, which I'm sure you can kind of handpick out. Um, but the whole story, like if you watch that match and you get rid of the finger gun thing, it's leading to the finish where we were using these finger guns and, you know, being comedic and everything, which led to Dick Justice getting so frustrated that he pulls out a real gun. <laughs> and um, then, like, the match kind of stops there, and he gets rolled up real quick. But, you know, I just kind of the, the the building to that, I thought, was, was funny and creative that we came up with all that. Um, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. You know what? I, I'm, I'm. I'm having a brain fart here, which is not good. But and I don't want to keep talking about you know stuff that we've done and everything. But <laughs> that was just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> I mean, you've been a beyond. You've been a ditcher species. You've probably seen every different type of wrestling imaginable and possible. So yeah, yeah. There's been a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, Bill, thank you so much, or Dutch, whichever I'm going to call you today. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. Uh, you know, wishing you all the best. And yeah, thank you for having me. Forward. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Bill Carr for joining me today. Join us next week, where we'll have a guest. I'm very excited to welcome to the program. It's the editor of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer. Dave has covered Vince McMahon and WWE for decades, so I really wanted to get him on to talk about the future of Vince McMahon and the future of that company as it goes through probably one of the biggest changes ever and also what effects that will have on the whole pro wrestling industry. As a journalist, I greatly respect Dave and his work and frankly have used it at times as a model for my own. That's all I've got for now, so have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you then.